Welcome to Euro Dollar University with Jeff Snyder. And today, ladies and gentlemen, after the episode, you will be able to note the sign that the Euro Dollar evaporation has reached a systemically dangerous level. Yes. How do you know that something has gone from bad to very concerning? We're going to talk about it with Jeff. And you can read along at Real Clear Markets, where Jeff posts a column every week. This one is called Kicking and Screaming into the Deflationary Season. It was posted on the 26th of August, 2022. We're recording one day after that. Jeff, we're going to be talking about the Reserve Bank of India. We're going to be leaning on India and their currency and their foreign exchange reserves as indicative of a global problem. Uh, we're going to talk about the U.S. dollar, but is there any more setup that we need to do? Yeah, and I think that what you said is exactly right, because we're interested in how do we know things? Uh, we know things are going the wrong way. I mean, that, that's pretty much obvious. We look at uh, any number of curves. But how do we kind of get a sense of when they go from bad to worse? Because if we're already bad, the next step is either better or it could be worse. And we kind of want to we kind of want a really good sense of what that could be. And ironically, and this is true, not just of, of what we're going to talk about here, which is uh, foreign reserves. It's true of basically any central bank policy. Anytime you see a central bank change its behavior, it's in response to something that's already happened. And because central bank policies never work, whenever you see a central bank do something, it's an alarm bell that says, okay, something changed here. We need to be more prepared about what happened, not what the central bank does. I mean, that's the exact opposite of what we're all taught. We're all supposed to be happy. The central bank's got everything under control. When time and time again, you see the Fed do another QE, that's, uh-oh, that's a bad sign. You see, you know, the ECB do some bond buying or switch, you know, what is it called? Anti-fragmentation policy or whatever they want to call it. They put some name on some program. That's a bad sign that something has escalated to the point that a central bank feels it has to get involved. And that's not just it's true, not just in these, you know, the developed world and the countries we're familiar with. It's also true around the rest of the world where countries have to more directly deal with the U.S. dollar, meaning euro dollar problem, uh, because they're connected to the global dollar system which means they have commerce, they have financial flows that they have to manage, and it's part of their daily routine, their daily life, their daily policy. Jeff, what is the term that we're going to be discussing today? I can't find it in my notes here. It's net forward assets. Net forward assets. So quantitative easing. I love the euphemisms. I love the euphemisms. And it's even worse than that, because if you read the minutes and the transcripts and the speeches, it's clear they don't want to talk about it. They'll say that in India, they have this umbrella. They call it their umbrella. I don't know why they want to call it an umbrella. Maybe because the monsoon and the rains are such a big part of India's culture. It makes sense in that respect. But net forward asset, no, they, they will say that we've got it covered under net forward assets. And then they don't want to talk about it any further than that. So they love these euphemisms they keep coming up with, which are just basically saying to the public, go away. Don't ask any questions. This is a way above your pay grade. Let us handle it. Don't think too much about it. You mentioned The Umbrella. It made me think of my second or third favorite book that I've read this year. It was by William Dalrymple. It's called The Anarchy and is about the story of the disintegration of the Mughal Empire and the rise of the East India Company. Fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Okay, so net forward assets, quantitative easing, forward guidance. These are all signs 
that it's already too late. Something bad has already happened. They're reactive. We implicitly assume they're ahead of the curve. No, they're not. Okay, net forward assets. It has to do with the U.S. dollar. Jeff, now you tell us here that the country is not doing too bad. You, you give one number here. Industrial production is up a robust 12.3% year over year in July. You would think, great, the economy is doing well enough. That means the currency should be doing well enough. But uh, in case anyone hasn't been paying attention, the rupee is just short of its all-time low, of its all-time low. And how in the world can this be happening? Is this stimulus, Jeff? That could be one of the first things that people will say. Yes, the central bank is doing something on purpose to stimulate its exports, Jeff. We're always told that. Is that the case? Well, if that was the case, then they would come out and say so, right? I mean, they would say they wouldn't need net forward assets in order to rescue the rupee if the rupee was their choice. And, you know, the rupee hit a record load only barely a month ago, which is what triggered this umbrella discussion. They've used net forward assets before. And if, you know, hey, what are net forward assets? I don't know. They won't tell you either. There's some form of Hmm. contingent liability. There's some form of derivative off balance sheet measure that essentially subsidizes. The the idea is basically the same. It essentially subsidizes their local banks in their dollar uh, funding activities which creates uh, you know, a ticking clock in China, which we've seen. It creates this uh, forward cost that need to be paid at some point and need to be wound down at some point, which essentially makes the problem worse going forward. But essentially, it's a way to try to manage what's going on behind the rupee, in this case, what's behind the rupee's collapse, which isn't really about India or the rupee, which is kind of what, uh, if you read, not just between the lines, explicitly at certain points in some of the speeches by RBR Governor Das, as well as the minutes and some of the official statements that come out of the RBI, they're basically saying, this isn't our fault. This isn't us. The Indian economy, the Indian financial system is in really good shape. Uh, And you look at it, you know, India has its problems like everybody else does. But in terms of their position in the global hierarchy, that's true. The Indian economy is actually performing much better than many of its peers are. There's fewer questions about India than in other places around the world in its neighborhood, too, as well as China. And so it seems incongruous that the rupee would be careening toward a record low when the risks don't seem to be material, especially related to India. So something else is going on here and something else is going on in a way that has triggered this deployment of contingent liabilities or net forward assets, whatever you want to call. They're a form of derivative receivable that goes somewhere on the RBI's balance sheet, which is essentially a method to not have to do anything publicly that gets published on a balance sheet somewhere, basically hiding their rescue and intervention measures because, and that's another thing. I mean, think about it. India has the world's fourth largest stash of foreign reserves. Why would they need to hide their intervention? They, I mean, that's the whole point of foreign reserves, right? Is that you have these reserves so that you have a monetary problem that's driving your currency lower. You just mobilize the reserves problem solved, except that's never how it works, right, Emil? I mean, we see this time and time again, as we've been saying, as soon as the central bank or the central government or the reserve management institution gets into interventions, it just makes the problem worse. And eventually, at some point, they have to go into these contingent liabilities, which is a way to obscure what they're doing, because what they're actually doing doesn't actually help. And that's the trigger for our audience to know that something is wrong. 
very wrong, systemically wrong, because now they're willing to pay the higher, as you put it, exponentially priced later when their futures or forward expires, and they probably have to pay more if the system hasn't fixed itself. They're going to have to pay even more, and they're going to have even a greater contingent liability that may one day end up on their balance sheet. This is the moment when you know that they're panicking and just buying, hoping time heals all wounds. Jeff, what about the second counterpoint? People will say, it's none of the things you just said, Jeff. It's an interest rate differential. (laughs) The Federal Reserve is hiking rates. Therefore, the U.S. currency should be worth more than the Indian rupee. And that's why the rupee is falling down. Well, you can make that argument and the rupee would maybe be softer against the U.S. dollar. But would it be crashing to a record low? I'm not so sure. And let's not forget the Reserve Bank of India. It's not just the Fed that's hiking rates. The Reserve Bank of India is also aggressively hiking rates. And the Reserve Bank of India is starting from a much higher rate. So you can't really get into it. I mean, the Fed has done more rate hikes so far. The, the Reserve Bank of India, I think, has done about 140 basis points in the last few months. They're going to do another 50, maybe even 60s. There's whispers they're going to be a 60 basis point hike to the repo rate at their next meeting. So it's not like the Fed, it's not like Fed versus ECB here, where the ECB is really dragging its feet and the Fed is going aggressively. The Reserve Bank of India is going just as aggressively or near as aggressively as the Fed, but starting from a much higher level. The, the, the benchmark repo rate never got lower than 4%. So even at its lowest point, it was more than the Fed was ever going to get to, I believe what the Fed's ever going to get to in this current rate hike cycle. Even if there was interest rate differentials, you know, portfolio effects there, I don't think it would push the rupee down to, you know, record lows, but that's not even the case. The, the Reserve Bank of India is aggressively hiking rates just as the Fed is. And not only hiking rates, they're also aggressively courting foreign currency. Here's some of the things that you have listed. They've instituted several possible countermeasures. Among them, local banks have been exempted from meeting several regulatory thresholds, freed from reserve and liquidity requirements, at least when adding deposits qualified as non-residential external. In other words, they're trying to help local banks be more competitive in getting foreign currency. And Jeff, earlier you mentioned the foreign reserves, and we've got a graph right now of those foreign reserves and how they're trickling away. And it suggests that other thing that we often see during these euro dollar shortages, these credit shortages, it's that the official holdings start shrinking. Why? Because the official institutions, the central banks, the sovereign funds are trying to subsidize and supply their local banking system with dollars. Isn't that right, Jeff? Or is this yet another example of the BRIC nations sending a message to the United States that they're... <laughs> you had to go there. Have you seen anything in the tick data, by the way? Did you look at India specifically by any chance? No, I did not look at India. I should, probably should have. I wish I had talked to you ahead of time because that would have been helpful. But no, I did not look at the tick data for India. Just generally, what are we seeing trickling away? We see this with China time and time and again. What's happening here? Yeah, and you're right, Emil, because that's the other explanation, right? Is they hate America. They hate the dollar. They hate tri- they're diversifying the reserve holdings. No, this, you know, we don't know, you know, specifically 
exactly what the, again, the contingent liabilities, there's a cloak of a veil of secrecy here on purpose because they don't really want everybody to know that they have that big of a problem, which is when these central banks report falling reserves, it's a key clear sign. It's the first clear sign that they have a big problem. And then the second clear sign that things have escalated is when the central bank no longer wants to, to deal with that problem out in public by just selling reserves or using reserves. They go off balance sheet. So it's basically the one-two punch or the one-two step. Saw this in China in 2014 and 2015. We've seen it around the rest of the world uh, repeatedly. The term contingent liabilities, the first time I ran across it was in 2013 with Brazil, which the coupon Cambiel is essentially the same thing where central banks try to subsidize local banks with, as you said, Emil, just try to buy some time because subsidizing banks in their dollar funding activities means at some point the piper has to be paid. And what you're betting on is that when we get to that point down the road, it's much easier to absorb those costs or reabsorb those costs of subsidizing something that has already happened if the euro dollar system has normalized along the way. But that never happens. In fact, what the euro dollar markets do, again, this is why I called this the nightmare scenario back in 2015, is that if you're a euro dollar provider and you see, for example, Brazil or China or India start going into stealth intervention mode, are you going to be more or less likely to extend dollars into that place where stealth intervention is at its heaviest? You're going to say, wait a minute. What is going on in this place more than I already know? What is the rest of the market doing to India that the central bank has to go into stealth intervention mode? I'm going to charge an even higher risk premium to lend dollars to India because that's not a good sign here. That's not something I want to see as a dollar provider for India. So stealth intervention, contingent liabilities, net forward assets, all these euphemisms that are designed to obscure to the public what's going on actually do the opposite to the marketplace. The market says, I know what's happening here and it's not good. You know that their stash of foreign currency, which is the fourth largest in the world from September of 2021 through the middle of August of this year, less than a year has fallen by 12%. Yikes. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's another thing, right? If you see, that's why you go into the contingent liability, stealth intervention. Because if you start losing reserves, you can say, well, we'll take a little bit out of reserves. That's no big deal. But once you start supplying reserves and that, that just creates this self-reinforcing cycle, everybody knows so there's a problem. Before you know it, blink of an eye, 12%, one-eighth of your reserves are gone. And everybody, you've just painted a target on your back, which is why I called it the nightmare scenario for China is because once you do that, it's like a bank going to the discount window at the Fed. You've created the stigma for yourself that just makes the problem worse, which is why you can understand why these central banks then say, we got to take our problems underground because doing this in public only makes the problem worse. It makes, we paint the target on our back. We got to do this contingent. We got to do this, this off balance sheet stuff, except it doesn't fool the marketplace. It fools the media very easily. Because the media is in awe about everything any central bank does. Oh, the umbrella is robust. Okay, we're going to write that in every media report about India. But in reality, it's the, the opposite. And it doesn't matter if it's a stealth intervention or not, because going all the way back to the 97 and 98 Asian financial crisis, the same pattern emerged. The more central banks do stealth intervention, the more the market knows, oh, three months from now, 
there's a profit to be made betting against the central bank as it tries to unwind its contingent liabilities. It doesn't help. And so we know that the central bank is suggesting or indicating that something has gone to the next stage when they go from just selling the reserves to, okay, now we got to hide our methods. It seems that on the one hand, yes, you're right. They have to be stealthy and not public about what they're doing. But on the other hand, they're given a freedom, these emerging market central banks, by being outside of the advanced economy money centers, and they can rightfully turn around and point and blame at the world system. They don't call it that. They call it the U.S. dollar. But they say, this is our problem. It's not anything that we're doing. And here's a couple of quotes where it seems they're being upfront from August of this year. Emerging market. Oh, this comes from the, uh, the governor of the Reserve Bank of India. Emerging market economies are facing a rapid tightening of external financial conditions, capital outflows, currency depreciations, and reserve losses simultaneously. Both advanced economies and emerging market economies are witnessing weakening of their currencies against the U.S. dollar. And here comes, speaking of the U.S. dollar, my one disagreement with you in this episode, Jeff. You say, quote, for India, they've achieved a modest bit of currency stability because of all their work. The rupee is stable. It hasn't fallen further since mid-July. Jeff, I'm not even going to give them that modest bit of currency stability. <laughs> no. Okay. Here, here's the deal. The, on August 2nd, the rupee began to lose value again, right? And that it has already hit its July 14th low. But if you look at the U.S. dollar broadly, now that was just against the U.S. dollar, but if you look at the U.S. dollar broadly as measured by the Federal Reserve against 20-some countries, it was on August 10th that the U.S. dollar began to rise, and it's yet not close to its July 14th high. So it's the rupee that moved first and is already near its all-time low. The dollar moved later and is not yet at its all-time or recent recent high. So I don't think even all this work they're doing is helping them. They're actually, they're struggling much. It's, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, I agree. It's so, that was sort of tongue in cheek on my part. Maybe okay. it didn't come through in the writing, but in the very small, you know, reduced standards for success for these things, <laughs> they were arguing that, oh, you know, if you look at the chart for the rupee in particular, it was like a straight line down. And then for a couple of weeks there, it was no longer falling at the same rate. Which is one of the statements one of the Reserve Bank officials had made is that when he was asked about how much lower they would tolerate the rupee going, what he said was, well, we don't want to target. We don't want to give you an idea. We just don't want it to be volatile, which is sort of a non-answer, which said, we're just kind of happy it's not continuing to careen towards the abyss because it seems like we did a little bit and maybe it stopped falling as fast as it had before. Like jobs saved in quanti- you know, the standard for judging quantitative easing, they're saying that this is their measure of success. The rupee was going like this, and then now it's kind of going like this. So it's still kind of on a downward trend, but it's not on the same ridiculously crashing trend that it was before. Not because of anything they did. I'm just saying, the, you know, the point that they're making is absolutely correct here, is that this is not an India problem. Mm-hmm. This is a U.S. dollar problem, which means it's not really a U.S. dollar problem. It's a euro dollar problem. When he said those four things, you know, Das said the four things, it's external financing conditions that are rapidly, rapidly tightening, foreign currency devaluations, reserves disappearing. It's not just in India. India is a bit more extreme. 
And what was the last one? Capital um, outflows. Capital. It's not capital outflows. This is euro dollar global shortage. So all of those things, those three, three last things are simply symptoms of the first thing. Rapid tightening of global monetary conditions. Now, the next step, having realized what's actually happened here, what we would like everybody else to do, the next step here is to understand what does rapid tightening of global financial conditions actually mean? Because what you're going to hear in the media, mm. in the mainstream, is rate hikes. The Fed, mm -hmm. of course, global conditions are rapidly tightening. The Fed is aggressively hiking rates, and there's your tightening. And that's where everybody goes wrong, because that's not what's going on. And when you look at India, you see the global tightening has very little to do with rate hikes and more to do with treasury bills or Japanese government bills or any number of things that we see in the marketplace that have little to do with the Federal Reserve. So what you're doing is looking at India's problem and India doing us a favor by saying, as you said, Emil, because they're more free to say, actually tell you the truth, which is this isn't our problem. We're not creating this. The euro dollar system is growing rapidly tighter which is forcing us to do all of these things, all of these symptoms, currencies declining, outflows, rapid diminishment of reserves. All of these things are symptoms of tightening financial conditions. We just need everybody to make the next leap of, of logic, which is to realize this is not the Fed. Rate hikes don't actually lead to tighter financial conditions, but collateral shortages do. Balance sheet constraints do. Rise in volatility, as we discussed on a member video recently, that's a balance sheet killer. That's a monetary killer. So rapid tightening of financial conditions, all the symptoms of that, and then one put all of these things together into a comprehensive whole that tells you a euro dollar story about not just this year, but every time we go through these cycles, because this cycle repeats every time. And every time the media continues to put it into, oh, it's the Fed did something, the Fed, the Fed, the Fed, the Fed, when it's not, it's euro dollar, euro dollar, euro dollar, euro dollar. The market is tightening financial conditions because risks are elevating. Therefore, you don't want to put your rear sector on the line. The Fed is quote unquote tightening monetary conditions because they're concerned about consumer price increases and that that yeah, consumers in the United States might be locked into an expectations of plenty because, because, because consumer price increases are going up. When we just did a whole report on how it's supply, not demand driven. It's all ass backwards, Jeff. It's all ass backwards. But coincidentally, the market and the Fed are tightening monetary conditions. Therefore, we're going to give all the credit to the Fed. All right. That's it for me. That's it from you, too. Yeah, I think so. I did, you know, again, it's when you look at things, the right, once you see the euro dollar story, all these things start to really make a lot of sense. And it, including why central banks would want to hide what they're doing. Because once you paint your target on the back, start selling reserves. And what Indy was saying is it's, this isn't just our problem. It's, it's, it's prevalent. It's everywhere. We're all in the same Advanced economies. Because it's a global dollar system. It's a global reserve mm -hmm. currency that's, that's, that's uh, experienced. And you're right, Emil, this is not about inflation. This is not about the Fed. It's about risk aversion, volatility, balance sheet killers, collateral shortages, all those things. Because you can put you can put charts of these things next to each other. You see March, big flush, big dollar shortage. You see it again in June, big dollar shortage. Reserves drained from India, March and June. See T-bills, all this stuff. I'm raising my hand, Jeff, because the audience is thinking March and June 2022, which is true. 
But it's also true March and June 2021. That's when things started to, when the roller coasters started to turn down. Markets started turning away from reflation back then. Was the Fed talking about rate hikes back then? No. Market was leading. (sighs) All right. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you, dear audience. Thank you, dear members, for signing up to Eurodollar University. Jeff, any final words from the, for the audience? No, I think that's, you know, if you're interested in more content, more videos, we got uh, at our membership site, we're going through a quantitative easing, sort of, I think, thoroughly debunking all of the myths that have to do with quantitative easing, using evidence, not just stories, not just our, our suppositions, but all the evidence and most of the evidence that's provided, not just by data and markets, but also from the sources themselves. You can check that out at Eurodollar University. Eurodollar.university is the website. Memberships are available there. We also did uh, question and answer sessions. You submit questions, we answer them, as well as some other, I think, interesting content there too. Very interesting, Jeff. Not, I think, very interesting. So interesting. I would recommend a membership for the audience. 